Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Native students in one school district in New Mexico are severely disciplined at a much higher rate than the rest of the student body. That's one of the findings in an investigative report that just came out. Such expulsions and other severe punishments can have a lasting negative effect on a student's future educational trajectory. Today we'll hear about the report and get context from Native educational experts in the state. We're back right after the news. National Native News, I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Another major winter storm has hit South Dakota, this time targeting East River, snowing in a tribal community. South Dakota Public Broadcasting's CJ Keen has more. The most recent winter storm brought 27 inches of snow to the community of Lake Andes in Charles Mix County, home of the Yankton Reservation. Tribal Secretary Sam Sully is among those snowed in. We had a big storm that took care of the, all the highways from the communities to the hospital, so it was pretty tough. And as uh, fast as they would plow some of the roads, they would be filled back in again, too. So it was just a hell of a night. You know, we do have uh, about 2,000 members um, living in, you know, in our areas all together, and so it, it does get pretty active. Sully says 60 to 70% of the community is native with separate law enforcements and separate jurisdictions. He's had all agencies cooperated to take care of one another. I was very glad that we worked together and, you know, really helped save lives of people and not only tribal people, but other people that may need it too. Sully says teams are looking at a heavy workload in the days ahead. Today we've got uh, drifts all over, but our maintenance crews are out doing snow removal and their priorities are people that are diabetics, need to be getting dialysis every other day, people that need to get to the groceries. He says it's personal because they also rescued a family member suffering from pneumonia. This person was eventually rescued from their home after a coordinated effort involving a skid loader. He says their condition is improving in a local hospital. For National Native News in Rapid City, I'm CJ Keen. On Wednesday, Canada marked the first National Ribbon Skirt Day. It's an event that was inspired by a 12-year-old girl in Saskatchewan who was shamed for wearing a ribbon skirt to school in 2020. Dan Karpinchuk reports. Isabella Kulak was 10 years old at the time of the incident at the rural school she attended. Kulak is a member of the Cote First Nation, about 140 miles east of Regina. The colorful ribbon skirt is often worn by Indigenous women at cultural events. Kulak tells what happened when she wore hers on the last day of school before Christmas break. I went to school wearing my ribbon skirt, and when I got there, uh, different people were wearing dresses. Um, uh, one of the teachers said that it wasn't formal to her, and maybe next time we should dress more like um, her and point it to a different girl in my class. The school division later apologized for the incident, but the story sparked an online movement of women sharing photos of themselves wearing ribbon skirts to honor their identity. Still, what happened shocked Kulak's mother, Lana. It really broke my heart, and it brought back all kinds of emotions from when I was a little girl. And I, I couldn't believe it that it was happening in this day and age until one of my children now. It was not long after the incident that calls began to grow for a national day to commemorate ribbon skirts. And last year in Parliament, a bill to recognize the day was passed to market on January the 4th. 
Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, in a statement, said Isabella's story shone a light on the enduring injustices, racism and discrimination faced by First Nations, Inuit and Métis in Canada every day. Trudeau also invited all Canadians to learn from Indigenous peoples about their cultures and histories. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. The Shawnee tribe in Oklahoma is seeking ownership of a boarding school site in Kansas, the Kansas City Star reports. The Shawnee Indian Manual Labor School may contain unmarked graves. The tribe released a survey of the site this week. The Kansas Historical Society owns the site and it's managed by the city of Fairway. The tribe's concern the site has not been properly taken care of, while the Historical Society and city have reportedly rejected the idea of the site being transferred to the tribe. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com slash news. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at ramonafarms.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. A new journalistic report finds a New Mexico school district severely disciplines Native students at a much higher rate than others. It happens to be the school district with the highest percentage of Native students in the state and the country. The Gallup-McKinley County School District overlaps the Navajo Nation in the far western part of New Mexico. And it's not the first time the district has been singled out for its treatment of Native students. And it comes against the backdrop of an ongoing struggle with the state over how the public education system continues to fail Native students and other students of color. The report is by New Mexico In-Depth in collaboration with ProPublica. It adds to decades of reporting that students of color face stricter punishments than white students. If you'd like to join our conversation or if you have questions about unequal discipline in schools, call us 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now in Albuquerque, New Mexico is Bryant Furlow. He's an investigative reporter with New Mexico In-Depth and a co-author of the recent article, This School District is Ground Zero for Harsh Discipline of Native Students in New Mexico. Bryant, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Also joining us in the Albuquerque studio is Dr. Wendy Grayeyes. She's an assistant professor of Native American Studies at the University of New Mexico. She's Diné. Welcome to Native America Calling as well, Dr. Grayeyes. All right, thank you. And joining us from Santa Fe is Regis Pecos. He is co-director of the Leadership Institute at the Santa Fe Indian School. And among many other honors and positions, he is a former governor of Cochiti Pueblo. Regis, welcome back to Native America Calling. Good morning. Thank you. Bryant, let's go ahead and start with you. Your article points to some highly disturbing trends in the Gallup-McKinley County School District. What prompted the initial investigation into school discipline? 
Well, so in New Mexico, the state government doesn't publish student discipline rates online like some other states do. So, um, you know, reporters are always interested in what's not being shared with the public. So we asked the public education department in Santa Fe for student infraction data um, that's provided to them by different school districts across the state each year. Now, did you just have a hunch that Native students were being disciplined unfairly in the Gallup-McKinley County School District? You know, I, I didn't really. Um, the data took us there. I, I, uh, we got data for um, thousands and thousands of infraction reports going back a decade for all those public school districts in the state. And it was evident very quickly after we started looking at the data that the education department gave us um, that two things were true. You know, the first is what you just said, the statewide Native students are expelled from schools in New Mexico far more often than any other group, um, and conservatively, at least four times as often as white students are. And then secondly, as you mentioned, uh, we saw that one school district along the southeastern part of the Navajo Nation and its border towns, um, Gallup-McKinley School District, was largely responsible for that disparity. Well, tell us more about the types of, of discipline that you folks looked into. Is it just related to expulsions, or are there other types of punishment included in the data as well? So the database itself um, includes all forms of punishment um, from suspension on up, not detentions, not school, you know, like lunch detention, but suspensions in school, out-of-school suspensions, expulsions. And it also contains information about um, whether school officials called the police or made a police report uh, related to a school infraction as well. We decided to focus on the most, the harshest, most severe forms of punishment, expulsion and involvement of law enforcement um, over school infractions. And, and overall, the findings, and again, if you could just clarify specifically, to what degree are, are these Native students in this school district uh, being subject to these expulsions as well as law enforcement intervention compared to uh, their, their non-Native or even white peers? Yeah, so within the district, um, Native students were expelled at about twice the rate of white students. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, a, a, a very large proportion of Gallup McKinley's um, student body are Native Americans, mainly uh, Navajo children. So Gallup McKinley enrolls about a quarter of New Mexico's Native students statewide, but it was responsible for at least three in every four Native student expulsions statewide. And what, uh, what's motivating this? Why such a disproportionate number of, of Native students being, being expelled? You know, I, I think that Dr. Gray Eyes and, and Governor Pecos might be better positioned to, to say, we reached out to the school district to ask that question. Um, we sought interviews repeatedly uh, throughout the, the past year, and um, we never got a response from the, the school district about our interview requests. In the article, you talk to the family of, of one student. Uh, I believe he's a, a middle school student. And uh, he was suspended. He was um, removed from school. Is his experience typical of other students, Native students, who face discipline there in the district? Yeah, so Matthew is a seventh grader. Um, he attends a, a rural middle school in, in the county. Um, and yes, the things that Matthew experienced are, were similar to things we heard from other families and other students, current and former students. Um, it, 
sort of built. It, it started with him getting in trouble for getting some glue on his desk. Um, he was written up for, for that and for not paying attention in class. That was written up as disorderly conduct, and he was suspended for it. Um, and then he shortly thereafter was got written up for wearing a, a blue shirt to school. Um, that was written up by the principal of his school as gang-related uh, behavior. Um and things sort of built from there. He just got in trouble for everything you can imagine, playing on the elevator with a friend, being off task. And um, finally, last March, it all culminated with him being kicked out of school for the rest of the year um, for pushing another student down after school into the snow. That was written up as assault and battery. Your team studied GMCS disciplinary data for all grade levels. Were the numbers pretty consistent when comparing elementary, middle, and high schools? So the, the numbers were highest among middle schoolers in the district. Um, let me pull up the, while we're talking, the, what was interesting is that the rates for kindergarten through fifth graders, middle schoolers, and high schoolers were consistently higher um, at Gallup-McKinley schools compared to the rest of the state, and markedly so. They were much higher. Okay. Now, in addition to this student, Matthew, who you described, did you hear from, from families of other Native students that, that felt that they were being treated unfairly by the district? We did, yeah. We talked to a lot of families across you know, the entirety of the, of the uh, county, the school district. Um, something that I, I found spending time out there um, talking to people in the district was that there's, there was something of a climate of fear Quite a few people were concerned that talking to us could get their children in even more trouble at school or that there might be some kind of retribution from the district. And uh, we heard that from teachers as well. Teachers told us about fear of retribution among district employees, too. Uh, so it was at times, um, you know, I could understand why people didn't want to be named in our, our reporting. But I was also struck by the determination that so many moms and dads and grandmas that we spoke to out there um, showed in, in trying to keep their children in school. Brian, how well are, are Native Americans represented in the faculties of Gallup-McKinney County Schools, especially administrators? It, it, when it comes to school principals and administrators, um, they're not well represented. Um, how about the school and, board? Well, there are uh, there are Native Americans on the school board, and we did reach out to uh, all five members of the school board for comment um, and to share our findings, but we didn't hear back from them either. Okay. Um, really, really uh, disturbing to, to hear this information. And for what recourse do Native families have uh, if they believe their children have been unfairly disciplined in this way? What, what options do they have? I mean, you mentioned retaliation. They, they fear retaliation. That's really alarming. Yeah, that was troubling to hear. Um, the There is on the school district's website, um, and we'll be linking readers to um, an article soon about their rights as well. There's a student handbook that describes the policies, uh, discipline policies of the district. And uh, those policies include a right to appeal. If, you, if your student is um, long-term suspended or expelled, you have a right to appeal. You have to make your appeal known to the district very quickly, though. You only have five days to make that appeal to the superintendent. You also have a right um, to a hearing, and that hearing um, with district uh, discipline officials 
you can ask to have a translator there if you want someone um, who speaks Spanish or Diné to, uh, to translate for you. That's your right. And you also have a right to record the proceedings, the hearing, or to bring people with you. And you have a right to see the evidence against your student. Mm. So when you, you go back and look at this data, is there... I mean, is is there any way that somebody could just come along and say, well, you know, um, this is a small subset. This is just one school district. Um, any way somebody could just argue that that maybe some of these issues aren't quite as pronounced as, as what your re- reporting suggests? No, I really don't think so. Uh, in ProPublica's data reporter, Joel Jacobs, and I went through the data carefully. And, you know, he, he even went out of his way to try to to see, like, is there a way to explain away these trends? And every which way he looked at it, uh, Gallup McKinley stood out as having higher rates than the rest of the state. Well, folks, we were talking about a new report uh, and an article that was recently published that um, documents excuse me, disproportionately severe discipline for Native students in the state of New Mexico. And we're speaking right now with one of the authors of the article. His name is Bryant Furlow. We also have in the studio Dr. Wendy Grayeyes, an assistant professor of Native American Studies at the University of New Mexico. We're going to hear from her after the break. And we also have Regis Pecos in Santa Fe, New Mexico, who's going to talk as well about Indian education in the state. If you've got a question, if uh, you'd like to ask any of our guests any questions related to today's show, this topic, please give us a call. That number, 1-800-996-2848, 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Pro Wrestling's campy theatrical exhibition draws a large and loyal following. A number of indigenous wrestlers are among those making names for themselves in the showy and athletic industry. We'll talk to some Native pro wrestlers about the sport and what it takes to stand out. That's on the next Native America Calling. Yate ishanti de na tsosin hida hondo renewal letter jo ehondo idia to onegeda hakasbisinzira local Indian health care provider state Medicaid office at the current address. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking today about disproportionately severe discipline for Native students in New Mexico. The issue was first reported by New Mexico In-Depth in a collaboration with ProPublica. Join our discussion today by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. We'll get your comments on the air. We're joined now by Dr. Wendy Grayeyes. She's in our Albuquerque studio. Dr. Grayeyes, uh, what's going on here? Uh, do these findings regarding school discipline in the Gallup-McKinley County School District, do they surprise you? <clears throat> No, they don't. I actually want to just thank Brian for um, and his team for doing such a great research on this project. Um, but I do think it's a, <clears throat> it's this this is not a new phenomena of the punitive treatment um, against our American Indian children. Um, this is 
perpetuation of our boarding school era, but even though the boarding school era has been labeled as ended, um, it's kind of revamped itself into much more of these invisible forms of um, government and educational policies that actually continue to perpetuate um, the underlying effort of the boarding school era, which was um, had the goal of assimilating our American Indian students. And <clears throat> so when we talk about these issues related to our American Indian children, we have to put this into the context of um, the history of American Indian education, how our students have been treated in the past, and these new forms of invisible um, types of racist attitudes and treatments that are, that are baked into these school policies. But I also wanted to um, highlight a little bit of the school-to-prison school um, research that's out there. Um, right now, we're seeing um, a lot of research um, being generated that does identify that there is a strong linkage between school discipline um, and students who um, have a higher um, impact, or who are impacted and have a higher um, uh, entrance into um, our penal system. And it does start within the classroom um, because this is where they're introduced into the punitive criminal system in here specifically for the state of New Mexico. So there's researchers, there's um, lots of legal experts who are definitely um, researching the root causes of this and trying to get um, to the question of why. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that confront these researchers is actually getting access to the data. Um, there is not a lot of information that is readily available to the public about um, disciplinary action that occurs. Um, the United States Department of Education, the Civil Rights Division, does offer some of these resources on their website, but much of it isn't disaggregated to um, the tribal level. Um, so it hurts our ability to really understand the impacts within the school districts. Um, so I do think the context um, is embedded within our history, but also uh, current research does show that school-to-prison pipeline um, is, is very alive in our tribal communities, um, particularly here, um, as we see occurring at the Gallup-McKinley County School District. Dr. Gray, as Bryant spoke earlier about the lack of, of Native American administrators in the school district, could having more Native American principals and other high-ranking administrators alleviate some of these issues that uh, were revealed in the reporting? Well, what he also stated was that there were also, um, out of the five school board members, um, Native American members on that school board who have a lot of decision-making power. Um, I don't know if it will change the situation, but I do think um, right now um, the tribal education status report that's released by the New Mexico Public Education Department shows that about 5% of um, teachers who are in these schools are American Indian. Um, so there is definitely a need to increase the number of American Indians who are within these leadership decision this, uh leadership roles who make these decisions, but most importantly, um, I, I think what we also need to do is to educate um, administrators, school board members, 
um, teachers about the unique experiences of American Indians within the state of New Mexico, um, to think about what the history of the boarding school has had in terms of the damaging and the traumatic impacts of um, the boarding school traumas that have continued to perpetuate itself um, into our communities. Um, and I think having them understand the historical, the social, um, and even the economic toll that um, impacts these students when they are um, given this uh, experience of um, being suspended or expelled, um, it does lead to a sense of isolation for them. It does lead to a sense of not feeling um, worthy of being in an educational institution. Um, and right now, when we think about that reality, we need to educate individuals about what that toll is. Um, as Bryant had indicated, you know, it's, you know, we are, American Indians are a small um, margin within the state of New Mexico, but each individual that becomes educated um, gives back um, because eventually these children become adults and their perception of education, their perception of their communities, their perception of their nation um, is transformed by all of these experiences. Um, and I, I believe that, you know, making sure that teachers um, and administrators who work within these positions understand that these decisions um, aren't just impacting the individual student itself, but it's impacting the tribal nation itself. We've got a caller on the line right now, Norman, listening in Gallup, New Mexico on KGLP. Norman, thanks for calling in today. Hey, good morning. I'd like to thank Dr. Gray Eyes and Marjorie Thomas and Cliff Jennings, uh, New Mexico in depth, and this awesome reporter. My, my comment is really directed at the Native American School Board. You know, it's alarming and it's sad that they, along with, uh, you know, they, their failure to protect and, and you know, change the system. O over the years, uh, the majority of the Native uh, McKinley County School Board has been Native American. I think the the ire or, or the anger or whatever that might be should be directed at the Native American uh, school board members. Perhaps maybe they were in the boarding school system, you know, and their failure to protect the children, the community, the families, and especially the elders. So I think it's incumbent upon the the communities around uh, Gallup-McKinley County the, the, uh, to, to focus their, um, whatever their anger or their ire, whatever that might be, to, you know, the school board members. It's time to change it. So thank you all, uh, especially, you know, the, the Native American College for bringing this to, to, you know, thank you so much. Norman, thank you for that call. And uh, let's go ahead and have Dr. Gray Eyes respond. And, Dr. Gray Eyes, Norman puts a lot of the responsibility here on uh, the Native American members of the Gallup-McKinley County School Board. And he also mentions, uh, you know, the boarding school era. And you mentioned that, too. And I thought it was interesting, Dr. Gray Eyes, because Bryant had interviewed some older Native American folks uh, from earlier generations. And some of them were kind of dismissive of, of these issues that were revealed in the reporting, saying, well, you know, it was a lot tougher when I was growing up. Dr. Gray Eyes, what's what's your response to that? So <clears throat> I actually was at Gallup Flea Market um, with ProPublica for an afternoon and actually encountering um, that mindset, that very fixed mindset that this, this, there's a belief that these Indian children deserve 
what they got, that they're the ones who acted up um, and knew the rules, but they broke the rules. And let's, you know, the disciplinary process is intact. It's based on evidence. It's based on um, due process. And so, you know, when you think about the rights of these individuals, um, it really is heartbreaking. Um, And it really is hard to really get at the heart of why this fixed mindset about continuing to perpetuate this punitive reality um, isn't pushed against. And part of it is because we're not providing alternative pathways to consider ways of addressing this. None of these individuals have ever seen restorative justice or peacemaking strategies deployed um, in their lives. And so just because they experienced it doesn't mean that um, our students should be experiencing that. Um, And I do see that uh, a typical mindset um, in our communities that isn't just within Native American communities, but also beyond um, other communities that have actually examine this issue. Um, And there are really great examples out there. Um, There are great schools in the state of New Mexico who do not have high expulsion rates, who do not have high suspension rates. There are schools that have low suspension um, and literally zero um, um, expulsion rates. We should be looking at these schools, asking them, what are they doing um, in terms of actually working with students who have some of these issues. And the other part of this problem that um, uh, Bryant and his team had brought up in the article was that sometimes these individuals don't have access to uh, individual education programs because they are struggling with learning. They are struggling with um, the classroom environment. We know um, just in the ways that the classroom structure, it's very um, lecture-based. Um, we are coming out of um, in a, a period of high-stakes testing um, where, where much of our curriculum was built around um, trying to get students to pass the test, but also okay. um, students who were learning in an environment of, of COVID um, spaces in terms of remote learning. Okay. Dr. Graves, going back to the caller's question, uh, could the the Native American members of the Gallup-McKinley County School District uh, School Board, could they be doing more? Yep, they could be, they could be doing more. Um, even within the Navajo Nation Tribal Code, um, they do have a section just specifically on student um, conduct. Um, and in that, they do empower um, that the guidance of any local school, community school boards um, should include the voices of parent committees, the parents, local community members, um, and that, that that input should be included in terms of the guidance that these school board members could take. And so the path that I recommend is that we need to have a community conversation about what the results of this ProPublica study has revealed. Um, I do think these school board members could reach out and hold town halls and have a conversation about how can we make this issue better? Let's fix this issue. What are some ideas out there? Um, and get the input because um, the Navajo Nation um, itself and many other tribal nations, they have such powerful uh, tribal sovereign rights and many of that comes through the authority of their tribal codes which authorizes tribal nations to um, make 
certain demands of public schools that exist on and near reservations. Um, so I do think that the school boards, as Norman had mentioned, really do have um, the front seat in terms of actually making the final decision about where um, we need to go uh, moving forward in terms of addressing these issues. Let's bring Regis Pecos into the conversation now. Regis, you've been involved in educational reform in New Mexico for, for many years. This one case described in the reporting, how does it fit with what you know about how the state is addressing the needs of its Native students? Well, thank you, and thank you, Dr. Gray Eyes, um, for providing that historical context. Um, and I totally agree that, unfortunately, you know, in this kind of discussion, one has to just take a deep breath because of the uh, atrocious nature and really the horrific circumstances of the kind of environment that our children are subjected too. And the root causes are historic, as Dr. Gray Eyes uh, articulated. The root causes have a great deal to do with the reality that public school systems, its, its institutional framework that we were forced into in the 30s really are not designed for us. So at the most fundamental level, there is and there are fundamental one disconnect. So when public schools are designed for the most part for a monolingual and a monocultural society, public schools never had us in mind. When we were forced into the public school framework in the 30s, we didn't even have the right to vote, to participate in the mm -hmm. governance of schools. And so when the caller speaks to the power of, of Native people on local school boards, in many ways they are marginalized within that framework because they are working inherently in a system that gives very little value with regard to the other side of the equation. So one of the fundamental um, issues in Martinez Yazzie is the lack of sufficient funding and the constitutional violations with regard to providing children at the end of this process to be college-ready, workforce-ready, and civic-ready. Well, indigenous children from where they come from, indigenous nations, have dual citizenship. So our leaders also have a sacred trust to provide for an education that addresses their children to be college-ready, workforce-ready, and civics-ready. But the civics ready definition on the indigenous side is about having our children be fluent in their languages, knowledgeable about their culture, about the history, about their governance systems among the oldest in the world. And that side of the equation is never a relevant part of public school education 
as it's designed. So this whole phenomenon, as Dr. Gray Eyes articulated, is not new because generations of our people have been subjected to while simultaneously efforts were in play, intentionally designed to dismantle families and communities and governance systems. So the culminating effect over 150 years is that we are among the lowest academic achievers. New Mexico ranks at the lowest or the highest, however way you want to look at that. That manifests into New Mexico being one of the most impoverished states among mm -hmm. the highest in the country that manifest into hunger among the highest in the country, manifest into health disparities among the highest in the country. Regis, I'm, I'm sorry. We, we are going to have to take a break here, just a short break, but uh, really appreciate all of your insights here on Native America Calling today. Folks, we'll be right back. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. You can still join our discussion, Unequal Discipline for Native Students. Is it happening where you are? Call in, let us know. 1-800-996-2848. We've got another caller, Gene, listening in Albuquerque on KUNM. Gene, hello. Hi, I just wanted to make a comment about the uh, public school. I was a volunteer for the APS for many years, and when I volunteer, it is up to the parents to really help their students. Don't just think, don't just drop them off and thinking somebody's going to take care of it. Nope, it's up to you. And and then also, um, if there is someone in Gallup area that can teach the parents in English and in Navajo about their student rights and what they can do, and it can go a long way because I volunteer. I mean, I advocated for my kids until they graduated. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know about Native school board member in Gallup. You have a lot of power. Maybe you're just so afraid to stand up to non-Native board members, but you do have a lot of power. And but I wish I had time to go and teach the Gallup um, parents that they have the rights and. You know, because I've been doing this, I did volunteer for APS for so long. So it's my passion that I try to teach other parents that they need to get involved. Just don't sit back thinking the school is going to help you. It doesn't work like that. Thank you. Thank you, Gene. And you raise a, a really, really good point. And Dr. Gray, as earlier, you mentioned about educating uh, administrators, educating school districts. And uh, what Jean mentions is, is is the parents and providing support and education so parents can can advocate for themselves. As I recall from the article, 
Matthew uh, lives with his grandmother, and, and his grandmother uh, has limited bandwidth to address some of these challenges that, uh, that her grandson is facing in the school district. So, Dr. Grayeyes, uh, what can be done to provide more resources and more support for Native families that are encountering these challenges uh, in the Gallup-McKinley County School District and elsewhere, perhaps? Um, I really appreciate Jean's um, response because she is right. Parents are the most powerful advocates um, for our Indian children. Um, but when we do look at the reality of many um, Indian children, they are being raised by grandparents. And as grandparents age, you know, they're confronting a lot of their own health issues. Um, and, you know, so thinking about this process of, of, of empowering and educating um, our grandparents, our parents, but even community members um, in order to help provide the resources uh, uh, for parents to understand this process of discipline, to understand their rights, the due process that is actually um, articulated within the school policies. Um, but also, you know, many times I believe these schools actually um, treat these, these families in a manner where they should be trained attorneys um, talking about, you know, this is the evidence um, in terms of why they're um, uh, justifying maybe an expulsion or a suspension for these students. Um, and many of these parents don't have that level of education. They don't have that income to actually afford to pay for an attorney or to get legal advice on how to push back against these school boards. Um, these school districts, they have lots of money um, coming in in terms of trying to um, deploy policies in their schools. Um, and they have attorneys that are readily available, but parents don't. And I think in terms of the future of supporting these, these parents, we really do need to educate these parents. But also the schools should be um, providing resources to these parents. Um, I think maybe tribes or even the school itself could maybe provide um, a listing of um, peacemakers or alternative ways of actually addressing and to talk out um, these actions that are happening in the classroom um, with the student, but also to make sure that, you know, these students um, have an active, if they need it, an individual education plan in place. Um, but, you know, this is really coming down to the fact that our Native families, our Native communities, they do not have the same level of access that these school boards have, these, these, these school districts have in terms of resources mm -hmm. to help protect the interests of their own, their own children. So, you know, those are some recommendations um, that I would propose. Dr. Grayes, thanks for that response. Let's go back to the phones. We have Daryl listening on WOJB in Hayward, Wisconsin. Daryl, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, I want to think, I'm a retired law enforcement officer of 36 years, and I've gone to the been in the school systems in Milwaukee, uh, Green Bay, uh, Eau Claire, um, and um, Coon Rapids, Minnesota. Um, I've seen a lot of things through my life. I'm I'm retired now, but um, a lot of things we forget is that some of these offenses that these kids are charged with and and punished for are what they call status crimes and they would not be an offense if if they were an adult or out in the uh, regular public and so we're we have to look at how we're punishing these kids and how we're directing them and impacting their 
future lives. And it's not just to these kids, but it's a result that that impacts the rest of us. So what what is the direction we want to go, and what do we want to do for these kids? Um, and there, you know, there isn't enough. It's hard. There isn't enough people there to take care of everything. But I've worked in the juvenile courts, and I've seen some of these kids, and you could see them. They're in a spot where they could go one direction or the other, depending upon what happened, what help they got, and what you know what punishment was put on them. And um, so there has to be attention paid to them as real people, not as somebody who's violated something. Daryl, really, really good point to make there. And um, Dr. Gray Eyes touched on that as well in, in some of her previous research. This. Uh, some of these challenges, these issues uh, can manifest themselves later in life. She talked about uh, the pipeline to prisons and things like that. And I'd like to ask uh, Regis to respond as well. And, and Regis, hearing about this and what Daryl mentions and what we've been talking about on the show and, and some of these punishments and also just school discipline in general, is that something that the state of New Mexico is looking closely at with regard to Native students and, and, and the long-term effects of of what some of these punishments can do to a young person? You know, not effectively. Um, and I, I think it's the result that the point I was trying to make earlier is the fact that public schools and systems and institutions were never designed for us. The kind of investment that builds the kind of huge organizations at local school districts Tribes don't have the same luxury of resource investment to build their capacity to become effective partners to local school districts, to provide training for parents, to provide policy and budget training for local school boards, to develop policies and protocols in defining tribal and school uh, district relationships so that when these kinds of issues arise, there is an articulated and delineated purposefully designed process for engagement. And, and because those are critical elements absent, that's what the late Honorable Judge Singleton articulated, that the indictment of current systems and institutions have a long history of, of systemic and institutional racism. So she underscored the need to build new systems and institutions. And that is why the tribal leaders in developing the tribal remedy framework have really stood hard on the position that the state, that the state needs to invest to build the tribal capacity, to build their tribal education departments, to build the capacity to develop school-based programs for their children who come home and can have the same resources. Because here's the reality. Our children are bused from our communities to other communities, often in other jurisdictions. And when the bell rings at the end of the day, an hour or two hour bus ride back home, where there's very little to nothing that provides for community-based student support. And so these are critical elements that are absent. One of the other critical proposals has been to establish technical assistance centers in partnership with Diné College and NTU to address supporting tribes, parents, teachers, 
school, school boards, so that there is a sustainable support system so that they can tap into to the rich and richness of Native faculty who are experts in these fields that deal with UNM as an example, Dr. Gray Ice with the Native American Studies Program, Dr. Tessie Parker with the Center for Native American Health, the Southwest Indian Law Clinic. Across the spectrum, the American Indian Education Institute, when there are not targeted investments, you get the reality of less than 5% of all teachers in public schools being native so that the majority of our children will never see a native teacher in the classroom. How can you address the relevance in curriculum when you're not investing in producing the kind of capacity we need? In my 40 years of work in the state, I've only seen three Native American superintendents. So there is a tremendous need for the state to invest in building new systems and institutions sustainable over time so that we can balance where we're marginalized K through 12 that results in in the kind of statistics that are just horrible that results in the kind of manifestation that I was talking about earlier. Regis, earlier you briefly mentioned uh, the Martinez-Yazi lawsuit and um, that determined that the state is failing Native students. Does that lawsuit have any promise for changing the system in the way that you describe? I think we're making um, headway. Um, For the first time, there is almost uh, $15 million that are, one, dedicated to provide to tribes to build the capacity I'm talking about. Um, We're looking at the governor's support this session to establish these two uh, technical assistance centers to provide for the kind of sustained support across the spectrum that we've been talking about that are clearly absent, um, to continue to invest in targeted programs like those that the University of New Mexico built by, directed by Native American faculty for curriculum, materials development, for teacher prep programs, for educational leadership, working in partnership with investment targeted for Diné College, for NTU, uh, for the Southwest Indian Polytechnical Institute. All of these are all contained um, in the Tribal Remedy Framework that is a list of policy program statutory appropriation requests that are aligned with the over 600 pages of findings and conclusions of, of, of law uh, in the Martinez-Yazi case. So that's the best opportunity we've had in over 150 years to redefine the vision and purpose of education for the first time for our children. And, and this kind of shining of a light of the horrific systemic and institutional failures will continue if we do not rebuild the systems and institutions that are necessary to support the efforts in our communities, to support teachers and and policymakers, school boards, our own who are members of those local school boards. There has to be that kind of vision that one uh, compels policymakers to make these kinds of investments. Uh, We've never had such a landmark decision anywhere in Indian country 
And in my mind, this holds great promise, uh, but it takes the kind of cooperative and collaborative uh, efforts at every level for the sake of our children, because this kind of horrific and atrocious realities cannot continue. Or, as our elders predict, when language and culture dies as a result of an unchanged and imposition of Western models in education, um, that will be the end of us. Uh, And certainly none of us want this to happen uh, on our watch. So, you know, it is an awesome responsibility, but you have uh, the kind of wealth of people who are their answers to the prayers of our foremothers and forefathers that we have blessed at higher education institutions, but they are not provided the resources to continue uh, to address the depth and the magnitude of the challenges we face in this educational crisis. We've got about a minute before we have to wrap up the show, and I'd like to bring Dr. Gray Eyes back in. And Dr. Gray, if you could briefly comment uh, nationally, are Native students and, and families in other school districts outside of New Mexico uh, facing similar challenges with regard to these disciplinary issues we've talked about today? Yes, absolutely. Um, my mom, who is Dr. Dolores Gray Eyes, and I, we presented to the Institute of American Indian Education a few years ago in a paper that we've been working on, on the states of Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico, examining um, punitive disciplinary actions against American Indians, um, which was data available from the Civil Rights Division in, at the U.S. Department of Education. But what we understand is that um, we need to still understand what is happening at Gallup-McKinley County School District. We, we, we have a lot of historical and social context that we're discussing, but we still need to understand what is really at the root of each of these individual um, cases that um, was highlighted by um, Bryant Furlow and his team at ProPublica. Why did these happen? We need to have access to that information so we can really examine the roots of the issue. That is all the time we have for our show today. I want to thank all three of our guests, Regis Pecos, Bryant Furlow, and Dr. Wendy Grayeyes for a very enlightening conversation on the topic of unequal discipline for Native students. And any listeners that would like to follow up with Bryant, his contact information is on our website. So if you'd like to talk with him directly about some of these issues, feel free. We're back tomorrow taking a look at the enticing world of Native pro wrestling. I hope you can join us then. I'm Sean Spruce. Support by Department of Homeland Security. Brandy Bynum, Program Manager, DHS Blue Campaign, has tips to combat human trafficking. On January 11th, wear blue, the international color of human trafficking awareness. To help raise knowledge of this crime, take a photo and then post it on social media using the hashtag WearBlueDay and empower your community to access Blue Campaign's educational resources to stay informed. Learn more about preventing human trafficking at dhs.gov slash bluecampaign. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. 
Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a healthcare professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash HBP control. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreement CPIMP 211227 and CPIMP 211228. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.